All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> well, hello and welcome to that actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian and anarcho-capitalist perspective. That's right, we do movie reviews with economics and some morality spiced in. And tonight, we're going to be doing Dark City for episode 121 of the show. You can find the show notes and more at actualanarchy.com slash 121. My co-host is Robert Johnson. He is here with us tonight, back again for the 120th time. Wow. I'm never going to let that one a lot. this down. Yeah, yeah, we had everybody. Our Ratatouille episode with Dan Reed of the Culinary Libertarian. That was the one you were out sick, so he batted in, in your place. But yeah. other than that, you've been here every time. Appreciate that. You're a good co-host. I'm like the copper horse. Not, not quite iron. I'm mostly here. Tremendous. You're, you're the best. Thank you, sir. So uh, we just got done with uh, Ip Man for St. Patrick's Day, talking with yeah. Luke Tatum from Texas about that. Yeah, that was a fun one. And uh, what what better way to follow that up than with Nikki P from Sounds Like Liberty on the Dark City movie? I think it's going to be a really fun one. And we'll introduce him in a moment when we get into Last Nighter's portion of the show. Sounds good. And uh, one other mention is if you want to get some of our pre-show and our post-show called Kathleen Turner Overdrive, hit us up at actualanarchy.com slash Patreon. And uh, before much longer, I shall move us to the Last Nighter's portion of the show. Here we go. Everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson. The Last Nighters and Launchpad Media is our home, and we have a special guest who's also on the Launchpad Media. It's Nikki P from Sounds Like Liberty here to talk about Dark City on the 64th episode of the show. You can find the show notes more at lastnighters.com/slash 64. One bit of house cleaning before we uh, kick this thing off. We have a new Patreon, and so I want to give a shout out to Tyler. Thank you for your patronage. We appreciate it very much. And he actually suggested that in the future we do the movie Dodgeball, which he says was like an ANCAP utopian situation. And I think that that bears some uh, some interesting uh, discussion. So perhaps we will be doing that episode at some point in the future. So, Tyler, thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate it. And if anyone else wants to support us on Patreon, lastnighters.com slash Patreon. And uh, Robert, my co-host, is here. You want to introduce our guest, Nikki P.? Yeah, welcome Nikki P from the Sounds Like Liberty podcast. How are you, sir? We're doing all right. About to get weird. It's going to get, get it weird. Super weird. So, Nick, tell tell our audience a little bit about your show and where they can find it. All right. You can go to soundsliveliberty.com or ancapmusic.com, and that'll take you to our website. We talk about music with libertarians or people in that sphere. Really, it's just about the cultural side of things. I like I like knowing the people that we're going to have to spend Ancapistan with. I think that makes, makes sense. If we're going to be living with these people, find out a little bit about them. That's a good idea. Yeah. Find out just how weird it's going to be. <laughs> All right. So, still there? so, Nick, you suggested Dark City. And uh, before we get into the Google description and kick this off, uh, 
just a little bit of background on what made you choose this one for your selection. Because it's just super weird. It's I, I, I think I was geeking out when you guys did uh, Brazil and I'm sitting there yelling at my phone like, what is wrong with you people? How do you not understand? This is the, the greatest thing ever. And while I didn't think of any other Terry Gilliam movies that I wanted to do, this was the one I'm like, well, what's, what's something else that's super weird I can try and con them into watching for me? All right. All right. So Nefarious Means have brought you here. I appreciate that somebody's hate listening to our show. <laughs> At least another person is hate listening. Right. Yeah. And like Patrick said uh, recently, he was like, you know, I figured one of the tropes is just Robert hates every movie. So we'll see if so that... let's find another movie that Robert can hate. Yeah. Is it more fun? Is it more fun to listen to me hating on a movie or loving a movie? I don't know. Um, judging by the number of people that listen to people yell and scream about Captain Marvel, the answer is it's always more fun to listen to people be angry at movies. Yeah, I think that's true. I think you want to listen to a little Schoenfried, a little bit of just glom onto that. Yeah, that hate wagon. I don't know. I don't know how anyone could hate this movie. All they can do is not understand it. All right. So, Robert, you either... <laughs> either I hate it or I understand it or I misunderstand it, right? Is that, is that the, Those are the two things I can do? You can either get it and love it or you just don't get it. In which case, well, can't, I can't get it and hate it? I can't see that being an option. That's not the right. uh, Hegelian uh, offer here. Sorry. Right, we're going to find out. We're going to find out if that's even possible coming up on this episode. All right. Well, let's do it. So the Google description, Dark City, came out in 1998. It's a drama and mystery movie. One hour and 51 minutes if it's the director's cut and a little bit shorter on the regular cut, which is what I watched. The IMDb is 7.7 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes, 75%. Roger Ebert, 4 out of 4. And 91% of Google users like it. The description is, John Murdoch, played by Rufus Sewell, awakens alone in a strange hotel to find that he is wanted for a series of brutal murders. The problem is that he can't remember whether he committed the murders or not. For one brief moment, he is convinced that he has gone completely mad. Murdoch seeks to unravel the twisted riddle of his identity. As he edges closer to solving the mystery, he stumbles upon a fiendish underworld controlled by a group of ominous beings collectively known as the Strangers. Came out February 27, 1998. The director is Alex Proyas. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but he is most famous, I think, probably for this movie. But then also he did The Crow. And uh, what's the other... What's the other one that he did that's pretty popular? If you're asking me, I, I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember. I, I used to know a ton about Alex Proyas. Um, I can't, can't remember offhand, though. All right, well, I will look it up. But uh, let's go to Robert. What's your thoughts on the description so far here? Well, did this movie make money? I'm, I'm curious if this was a success or not. I do not believe so. <laughs> It seems like it doesn't have a whole lot of box office appeal. I do appreciate Jennifer Connelly and um, William Hurt in this film. Um, it's always nice to see well, my old uh, Labyrinth lady doing a movie. One, one thing that I think is also worth noting is that this movie came out right about the same time as a bunch of other like serious heavy hitters in the sci-fi genre that I think overshadowed it in a lot of ways. Well, at least the one did. The other one was not as good a movie, but perhaps a more interesting movie. Because um, I think within months of this, the, the Matrix came out and the 13th floor and all of them explored human consciousness in very, very odd ways. But obviously out of all those, the matrix is the one that kind of really shined with people oh well, yeah sure what, what is the release date daniel on this film uh it says february 27 1998 so that's right around titanic time too 98 okay so probably way too late for this to be an influence on the wachowskis for the matrix but it sure seemed like this movie yeah it's exploring a lot of the same themes it's kind of has that one guy that's going to save the world, but he, he's living in a dream world and he doesn't really know what's happening and he's got to find out what's happening. And we're dealing with like these nefarious, pale enemies. It's very similar. 
I mean, that all depends on how much how much you know about what's going on. How much are we allowed to give away? <laughs> oh, we're totally spoiling the shit out of it. We're yeah, going to okay. say everything. We're assuming everybody's watched it if we're watching this, if we're talking about this. We're, it's a movie from over 20 years ago. So, so I mean, essentially, what the movie is actually about is aliens that inhabit corpses and are testing out scientific technology on human beings in a zoo in space. <laughs> right. And they're trying to find out what makes a human being a human being and like if yeah. they have souls and what's what's <laughs> what is a soul of this sort of hive mind although i don't know how consistent that hive mind is and that was the one thing i definitely noticed about it is that like they talk about a hive mind but it's definitely not like a slither kind of hive mind where everything is the same being it seems like there's a connection but not necessarily one identity Right, because one one guy could die and not everybody know about it instantly. Yeah, like Mr. Book and all that kind of stuff. They all have names and they refer to each other as individuals, but they apparently have some type of collective. Perhaps it's like a like they, they have the ability to be collective and transfer information that way, but they don't necessarily have to, which would be an interesting way of doing that, I suppose. It certainly makes the narrative work better <laughs> without having a full-on collective understanding. Yeah, you definitely need to have people share information as part of the plot. Otherwise, if the yeah, the one being just knows everything all the time, it's no reason for them to actually talk. Um, where do you guys want to go with this one? <laughs> where do you want to start, Daniel? It's it's well, it's I don't know. weird. It does take a while to really figure out kind of what's going on, and, and in some ways, that's good as as long as it keeps your interest. And I think that this um, this kind of does that. Uh, I I don't believe I've ever watched this before. When when Nick when you first brought it up, I was like, oh, I, I probably saw that you know. 20 years ago, but apparently I had not. And I will say that uh, if the contemporaries are the Titanic types and Matrix, this movie has more Brazil type practical effects and model effects to where it really doesn't lean heavily on the cutting edge at the time. Well, I mean, the idea behind it is they were making a noir movie in the 90s. Like that was kind of the, I think, Proyas's goal. And if you notice, like there's a weird out of time element that they keep keep in the movie very well. Like there's there's elements where like, oh, this could totally be now, I think, looking at cars and stuff. But then you'll be in a, a room and it's like, well, this could be the 1920s. And I couldn't tell you one way or the other. They, he would definitely went out of his way to kind of make it a very specific thing. And for me, I know I, th I think that it, I like the fact that I can't really place it at any given time as to when it is because it makes it really difficult to feel dated ever. Yeah, see, I, I feel a little bit differently in that because it's noir, I'm like, oh, this is like the 40s. <laughs> well, no, it feels like that at times, but then like, there, there's certain things that happen. And like, I think the cars were all very, like, actually very different years out like they're driving. Like you'd see like maybe you know, like a Dodge next to an old classic 1950s kind of car, you know, uh, Chrysler or something like that. Um, it's been, a, it, other than the other night, it's been a while since I watched this because this is definitely not Liz or Irma's type of movie. <laughs> All right, so this is this is a Nikki P movie. Uh, you know, there's one thing that if we could diverge a little bit into a little sidebar here, the Automat, I thought was really cool. Um, I just uh, first really learned about those not too long ago and apparently they're making like a comeback and it uh, surprises me that people don't look at that as like automation is taking our jobs kind of a thing. Oh no, for sure. I've, I've always thought that. And it, it, it is such a weird anachronistic in one sense and yet not in another sort of thing. Um, they utilize it in a very interesting way in the movie because it, it kind of keeps that barrier between that guy and keeps the sense of what the hell's going on here with that dude. Right. And uh, I think a modern day version of that is uh, those burrito kiosks that are they're 
putting up in New York. This is a couple of years ago now, but you put in like five bucks and you get a burrito. It's all fully automated. It's just someone has to restock it every couple hours. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And I'm sure somebody's back there just making better burritos because they don't have to worry about the customer service angle of it. Robert, your thoughts on the yeah, burrito? Yeah, well, just it helps you cut down on costs. And if you're, you know, the customer service is something you're not super into, like I know this would really go well in Japan where I, they I have, you know, what they were doing. Um, but if you're going to talk the automat, we have to kind of immediately address the, the, the one of the, the first thing that it's in there is look at the portrayal of the cops. Oh, I think that's pretty spot on. <laughs> like, Hey, <laughs> where do you think you're going? You answer home. <laughs> oh yeah. Where's home? <laughs> Prove it. But I also find like they, they kind of get into like how, how bullshit that is because you have, which is clearly the prostitute that they clearly have a relationship with. Yeah. Like an understanding like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You're going to take him and, do what you do all right yeah like she's paying protection money or or some other kind of arrangement exactly and, and it's i i think it's also interesting because you'll see the, that side of like the police in this town but then you also have the uh the william hurt side and like the detective side of things which is they're they're, they're trying to portray like the super cop smart smarty pants guy in him and then you got this other pig's angle <laughs> now what was Kind of the the premise here is that the the strangers, these vampire like uh, aliens, aliens that live in corpses. Yeah, so they're they're trying to run experiments and they're mixing everyone's minds together. Like they have syringes full of different um, memories and they're mixing and max matching them and then re-injecting them in people. And sometimes, like the William Hurt character, apparently he's the police inspector pretty consistently, but other yeah. characters get swapped out just kind of randomly. Like we see the guy who was the bell or the uh, development at the hotel and then later on he's the news well, they, guy they killed him in the beginning they killed the guy who was initially the the, the guy at the hotel because he tries to like stop him i think going into the room or they're trying to ask him questions and then they kill him so they have to replace him with somebody else to make sense of everything that's going on um the thing is i don't think that any of what they're doing is random like you, you can see when they actually go into the quote-unquote underworld of it that they're everything they're doing like they're manufacturing very specific items to test specific things and the whole thing is just a, a giant scientific experiment where they're um like one of my favorite scenes is the guy that were and it's a beautiful uh visual where they're like you're watching that the couple yell at each other at that tiny little kitchen table and then eventually they, they, they go through the tuning and the city expands and changes and does what it's going to do and then you go back to that same couple and they're hoity-toity rich people and so they're clearly testing if is it like some is it the memories is it the social element of what people are that makes people people is it something in the mechanics of the bodies because clearly the, the, the bodies aren't changing and it, they're getting at like just this i think the psychology of what it means to be human in there right and they're definitely doing that throughout the movie however i kind of wish that they were actually discovering something like we we found out this about the human condition like i i appreciate the 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 journey of the hero and how he's finding out about the world and establishing the world and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's a, it's enough for me that it's a, a laboratory and that everything is going on in that way. Yeah. But I kind of wish that the, the 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 strangers, like you say, were you know working towards something and had discovered something, and then that had been would put into the plot somehow. That would have been interesting oh, because oh, don't get me wrong, I would have loved it had like they spent more time on the philosophy and used it. Because I mean, ultimately, as cool as I think the philosophy is, they really just use it as setting for what's going on. Like, right? It, it, it only drives the narrative that they're trying to tell. Like, and that, and and I would agree that is for me one of the weak points because I do get in. I geeked out on the 
the theoretical kind of ideas that they were presenting. But ultimately, at the end of the day, he's just making a noir film in a weird place. Right, <laughs> right. And uh, it's hard to fault him for not what's, for what's not in the movie. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about the main character and how he's able to tune. And all of a sudden, how he's like the most powerful tuner compared to everybody else and why that could possibly be. Because it's not explained in the movie as far as I could tell. But oh, no, they, they avoid it like the plague in the movie. <laughs> oh, I disagree. I think I think that that is a, a plot by twenty four Kiefer Sutherland. I think that you you think that Sutherland secretly gave him all the powers. Yes. I've never so is that. that explicitly said, or is this your theory? I believe that this, it, from what I could tell, he just gave him memories. He gave him memories and implanted instructions within those memories. So this was all preconceived, right? He he had this plot. Uh, well, he needed to be there immediately when he came out of it at the phone booth to call him. Right. Okay, that's all That's all true. But how does he give him the power to do it all? Well, um, we, we saw that they can put the human memories into the other, the other, uh, the whatever they're called. The <laughs> they get, yeah, the strangers. I mean, maybe he had had a stranger to work with or like a, a, one of them that he could kind of do it the other way. I mean, at some point, is that part of their memory? Did he have one of them that he kind of stole that from? from a previous experiment even that he could have imparted into them. See, I view the 24 character as Morpheus. Like he's the actual hero of this. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting take on it for sure. And, I, and there's also a certain, maybe this is the one that worked out where he's been trying this for a while. And that's why the original detective that couldn't work the case, like he, he tried it on him and he lost his mind knowing too much. Like he couldn't deal with it. And this is kind of like Neo in the sense that he is the first one to actually be able to function as a human being still with the, you know, all the, this added stuff to his life. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we're reconstructing a, a parallel theory here. No, definitely parallels there, definitely. Maybe, uh, yeah, so maybe you're thinking that the Doctor, the 24, is just taking advantage of the situation? Well, I, I think that they reveal towards the end that he had torture, had to torture himself and strip himself of all of his memories other than the ones uh, related to his being a scientist, like the knowledge that he had. Well, he and, clearly hates them. <laughs> right, and he clearly hates them. And I think that that kernel of, of whatever's left of him that, is related to being useful to them in a scientific way was enough of him remaining to conceive of this plot to basically use their own powers against them by getting an individual empowered with what they have and then also these instructed memories and that could actually answer what robert's actual question was maybe that was the ultimate that was ultimately what you learn what makes you human is that that desire for you know to to not be controlled like that could have been the thing like, that's his way of acting out the only way he can perhaps and because i mean there's certainly a degree to that where rufus sewell by all intents and purposes like they they set it up that whatever is in him is not a murderer where they were trying to make one Right, and so you know, that could just could specifically be part of the rebellion there. I, I don't know. It depends which way you want to take the uh, the his character in it. That's very interesting. Yeah, because he do ultimately does. I mean, the story of the movie is that he is his individuality trumps their hive mindedness somehow, and the, their desire to not be part of this laboratory experiment. Mm -hmm. Not that he goes out and he frees all the slaves or whatever. He's not like Neo so much in the end. He's more. I have the power to reshape this world and I'm going to create this beach that I always wanted to well, go to and get back well, with this woman that I love. I think what that actually is, and they don't, they, the explanation, because clearly that world does not, like they're nowhere near Earth. They're on a machine out in space somewhere. No, it's flat Earth, man. 
it's well, flat earth it could of course be that um and so he doesn't have the ability to save all of humanity all he can do is make the um all he can do is make the terms under which they're captives a little nicer yeah i would say that he could flip the disc and expose the sun and extract the water and turn it into a beach somehow and somehow stop the vacuum of space coming in yeah he becomes a god in this world yeah very much so very much this is somebody realizing their full powers kind of like neo does at the end of the matrix yeah and he even goes as far as being able to stop a knife being hurled at him very neo style like stopping the bullets right yep Mm -hmm. fighting an agent basically yeah now it it is weird because they're a bit contemporary and so i think that you're right that they probably didn't have the opportunity to really influence each other well, Unless that there was a script floating around Hollywood and, you know, Wachowski's yeah, read it or whatever. One of, them, one of them could have been like the knockoff version of it. Yeah, are the Wachowskis, are they Australian? Um, I don't know. I, I know that they're ladies now. Yeah. They're both ladies now? I thought just the one was lady. I thought they both were. Could be. I don't know. I'm not going to assume I, their I, gender. I just thought it was odd that I thought they both transitioned together. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, well, the reason I bring it up is because if I remember watching the commentary and and special features on the Matrix disc when I got it way back when, I think that a lot of the shooting was done in Australia. Yes. Yeah, it's either Sydney or Melbourne, as I recall. I think it was Sydney. Yeah, and I'm looking at uh, the wiki for the director of this movie, Alex Proyas, and it says that he was born in Egypt but moved to Sydney when he was three. So he is an Australian guy. Interesting. Mm. They might have been running similar circles around the same they time. Could been, they could have been using the same SFX stage. <laughs> maybe they were talking to each other, hanging out, hanging talking out with, about transitioning with Wu Ping. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, interesting. And the no, entertainment industry is, you know, kind of insular. They probably hang out. I, so I've been very surprised that we haven't addressed like the the overarching, glaring um, nap violation that. This yeah, whole let's talk about represents. it. <laughs> like the fact of the matter is, all of these beings are being held captive, perhaps in a nice captivity. I don't know. Like say, I don't know. You're you're in America where it's a police state, but it's a pretty nice police state, so you don't have to think about it very much. You know, you don't worry why this wonder why the sun doesn't shine or that place that you have childhood memories of you've never actually seen or been to. <laughs> Well, they don't because they've been chemically altered, right? I mean, this is this is Brave New World, 1984, dystopian action here, you know? It's like these oh, people sure. don't even know that they're being oppressed or contained. Well, I mean, from a libertarian standpoint, uh, there's a lot of people around me that don't realize how oppressed they are. I would Indeed. agree. <laughs> I mean, so is, is, that's, our that's very true. Is, is the protagonist of this movie also representing the uh, the 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 hope as vain as it may be of trying to find something that everybody tells you is a fantasy and doesn't really exist or that is not searching for i to me that was like the, the big standout kind of thing about it was that literally in a zoo you have one person that realizes they're in a zoo <laughs> right you notice the bars where everybody else is like what are you talking about man yeah yeah so these are the yeah another movie that features somebody who sees the world for what it is and everybody else is like what well, and in that same thing, like the the detective is amazing in that because you have two people and how they deal with that knowledge is very differently. Clearly, it drives the, the original cop insane, whereas Rufus Sewell's character... John, it, it clearly is capable of taking that knowledge. And I think I, I, I think that there's different ways that people can go with having that knowledge of how oppressed people are and that you can go the Alex Jones route or you can go the Ron Paul route. <laughs> yeah. And I think there is something to um, 
the 24 being the hero character and the John being maybe his second or third try at this and that that mm-hmm. original detective was his first try. And I think that, you know, it sort of is telegraphed at the beginning when we first meet Kiefer Sutherland's character. He's actually presiding over a, a maze with rats in it. Oh, yeah. And he's got like a white rat in there and then he introduces a black rat. And maybe that's symbolic of he's got the detective character in there and he's going crazy so now he's going to try this other rat in the maze and that maze is actually like a flat circle that Mm -hmm. this entire world is revealed to be uh flat earth (laughs) at the end there and i think that might lead into what i want to do our next episode on robert so does does the original detective guy does he go crazy or does he go sane because he's the one that actually knows about the world he seems crazy to everybody else and yes he ultimately commits suicide but I would necessarily argue that suicide isn't the most rational thing to well, do in that situation. Well, and I guess I think that was the question I was getting is both of those people have very what I would consider rational reactions to an irrational situation. Yeah. Like you see everything's lunacy around you. You can either try and go along with it for as long as you can. And for all we know, like it could have been 10 years of him doing like what Rufus Hull did. And eventually he just lost it because he couldn't deal with everything around him anymore. And, you know, he took his one way out. He was looking and looking and looking and he realized there was no way out. And ultimately he's like, well, I'm going to take some control in my life Mm -hmm. and this is what I can do. The only option I got, pull the Roger Paxton. He's dealing with aliens that have the power to shape the world with their mind every night. Well, and I think that that's a thing that's interesting is that I feel like they do explicitly kind of address the fact that it is not a world. Like it is a machine that they created specifically for this purpose to kind of warp that works with the tuning thing that they can do. Yeah, they actually show the the machinery underneath the disc, right? In some of the other shots. And then also, it was hard to tell because I'm watching this on an iPad, but were there other similar kind of creations like in the distance you're talking like other discs when it does like that final pan out yeah yeah like you said it's like a I whole bunch never, of them. Actually, never thought about that i'll have to go back and watch the ending again because you're talking like when the sun comes over and maybe in the back i don't i never saw any but it's possible they're there like maybe this is just one of many laboratories that they have yeah possibly that'd but... be interesting that'd be cool if this is like experiment number 454 or whatever yeah yeah i kind of doubt it would be because they open on this what do you call them? Are they a race of beings, the, the, the alien types that are inhabiting the dead corpses? And they're like these uh, electric lobster things, squid face lobsters. Yeah. Kind of like squiddies and aliens, little face. Yeah. Lighters. Yeah. And yeah. they've got this somewhat collective intelligence. And apparently they live multiple generations of what human life's lifetimes would be. But for whatever reason, they are dying. Yeah. There's no way to regenerate them or whatever. And, and so they're trying to their whole purpose is, well, these human generations have been going on and on and on. So we need whatever magic they've got. And we need to understand what that magic is. And so we're going to basically do cattle prod experiments on these people beam them up let's just cue the george michael music with freedom <laughs> that's what it means to be a human yeah well i think that that really is i mean the the final answer at this and when he finally uh talks to who is it mr uh, mr hand who's the one who's the last surviving of these beings after yeah. after the kind of crazy like star trek 1960s style um final battle <laughs> where everyone's like ah and they shake the camera and they have some explosions in the background um, <laughs> i thought that was kind of bad but um, he was the last one, he, and he goes, well, you didn't find what it means to be human because you're ro- looking in the wrong spot. You were looking in their heads when you needed to be looking elsewhere. And oh, I think you he meant their heart, but I think you're right, Nick, in that it's 
it's freedom, it's individuality, it's being able to choose their own. Well, but I mean, I mean, then you could get into like the ages of, of all philosophical thought, like it, the soul, the heart, whatever that thing is. A lot of people kind of use different ways of describing it throughout the years. But is is your heart the the thing that makes you want to be free? Is that what pushes you to live in the first place? Like I maybe he's maybe they're not talking about different things. They're just using a different name for the same thing. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Like it's the human spirit. It's that that will to live that is what makes them. And, and ultimately, like I think that probably is the the answer if you're looking for one. Is that just the sheer desire to stay alive is what makes us who we are. And there's the up. <laughs> that is the answer. But what is the question? Now I'm bringing more Matrix into this. Matrix. I thought that was uh... follow the white rabbit. Oh no! I, I when you're asking that question, I'm like, wait, is this, is this a Douglas Adams thing? Are we? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Man, I watched that recently. It's that movie does not hold up. It's terrible. I love it. You love that movie? Oh, I, I do. I love a lot of really awful movies just because my litmus is the weirder it is, the better. Okay, well, it's definitely weird. I think the book is probably better in that case. I mean, most of the time, books are better. I mean, the book is like six books, and then it, it, essentially they tried to condense all of Doctor Who worth of content into this very, very small movie, which is impossible. So it was going to be what it was going to be. I wasn't expecting anything great out of it. It had, it had a good cast, and they were funny. All right, so everyone, that's our episode on Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Daniel, you mentioned that we were a podcast that talks about economics, and I'm curious if you saw any economic angles that we could attack this movie from. I know there's a whole lot of, you could maybe say that this is like a centrally planned economy with a whole lot of central planners going around changing actors in their different roles, but we don't get a, we don't actually get, it's not a functioning economy, seems to be. Yeah, it's more like a play thing, right? It's like this dollhouse and they're the kids playing you know, so it's not like. Uh, but they yeah. took. I mean, they they picked winners and losers, right? I mean, this is like a government. They they had these this poor family, and it turned them into a rich <coughs> family like in an instant. And I assume oh. they gave them wealth too. Did they take from another person, or did they just invent it? I'm curious. Well, they took the memories from someone else, or a portion of the memories, and they swirl them together in the serum, and they're able to shape shift everything. But I think that the 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 size of the disc is finite, so in a way, they are reducing the space available for others in the process in their redistributions. Well, right, and what are the what resources are being created? What what products are being made out of what resources? I'm curious about that too. Well, I, I want to. I, I actually kind of want to question that idea that the that the disc. Like where's the food coming from? Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you. But where's the food coming from? Well, and that's kind of what I wanted to address. Um, clearly, the disc is not finite because at the end of the movie, Sewell's character manages to manifest a beach on the exterior of this disc out of nothing. So theoretically, he could go and sprawl it out further based on what we have. We also see that like the buildings, we don't like. Since the entire the way the machine works, everything comes out of the center, it could be um, going off of the idea that wealth isn't static and that you can reformat and make things more valuable using them in other ways and kind of like the whole capital goods theory. I can kind of see that like different combinations will have different abilities and different values, like subjective like, values apply to them. Because technically raw materials wise, those people that you go from being a poor family to a rich family, they're the same raw materials that make those people. All that has changed has been essentially the programming for those people. Well, and the right. environment you've built for them. So like the resources aren't necessarily different. However, the what you do with those resources can be different. Yeah, I felt like that was the director trying to give us a... a 
a message, a, a social message. What right. It's like a nurture, not nature argument, right? Well, and then also that, you know, poverty, poverty is the fault of the rich or whatever. And that's the reason for difficulties. Well, see, that's what you're looking for. Because to me, uh, that's showing that your state of life is just a state of life. Like it's the same guy who's a rich guy in one and kind of a prick. And then the same guy is kind of a prick when he's poor, too. It's just how he's a prick is different. Like he's still sitting there screaming at his wife, complaining about his life. It's not like it was a very... Um, it, a very happy portrait or a very flattering portrait of these disenfranchised poor people. Yeah, I, I'm, I wondering, think, I, I'm wondering if you, uh, if you let the tape roll on that poor person, he turns into a rich person. If that rich person doesn't squander away all the money or, you know what I mean? Like what would happen? It, it'd be a good experiment. That would be an interesting thing. You could probably actually learn some things about the human condition. And I, I think that there's something interesting in that to me, it seemed like a very anarchic state in that while everything is controlled from like the stranger's perspective, I mean, clearly everybody goes about their days as always living the lives that human beings live based on how they are. Clearly, the the system seems to function. And I don't think the strangers seem to be putting a whole lot of thought into the money side of it, just, you know, the basic state of life and memory side of it. So some kind of economy forms and how that forms seems kind of spontaneous to me. <laughs> Well, if if they're able to inject memories and the memories are of I worked for this money, this is who I am, I've totally believed myself to be this prosperous professional man, then I suppose he would act completely differently mm -hmm. than when he was a poor man and he believed himself to be a certain way. It sure seems to say that human beings are completely malleable. Yeah, but see, the, the the memories that are injected only partially affect how they behave, as demonstrated by Rufus Sewell's um, disbelief in accepting the memories that he's a murderer. Like he goes to the prostitute to test himself to see if he is really capable of doing that. So there's a component of him that isn't just the memories. Okay, so is he the example or is he the exception? Well, that's a good question, because apparently he's the exception in other ways. Yeah. Well, and they do they do mention that, like, essentially his memory is fragmented because he got parts of the memories and not others. Whatever memory kind of thing happens there, clearly there's an exchange. So, like, the new memories overtake old memories or do they fill in there? Like, that's, about, that's a good question, like, as far as that goes. Do the memories themselves, clearly they're not, he's not pulling anything out of these people. He's only adding. So does the serum that he used delete everything else and then only add new stuff? And for that matter, I mean, how do we know that his character... The main, like the main doctor's character isn't, you know, have all of his memories taken at one point, and he's not even the first of him. Yeah, it, it's, it was strange that they needed another character, like a human being, to be the artist, he says, to, you know, mix all these memories together in a convincing way that only a human would understand, whereas they, it's almost like in The Matrix when they made, they had the one person make the world be perfect, and everybody rejected it, and they lost crops and whatever. Yeah. I don't really I mean, have there's a something screw there is something screwy about being people, man. You know, you wake up and you vote for Donald Trump sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> Can we talk about some of the um no plot conveniences or script conveniences that yes. make a whole lot of sense? All right. What do you got, Daniel? Yeah, I'm curious because I buy in pretty hard on these things. I'm so worried about the philosophy, I don't care about like the real world stuff. All right. Well, during during the tuning, you know, whenever it hits midnight or whatever, people just go to sleep and they are driving and they're in the middle of eating and they're in the middle of doing things. There's no car crashes. There's no night. car crashes. There's no people like dying as they drop into a bowl of food and probably can't breathe for however long the tuning takes effect. So, I mean, and, and they show it a couple of times, you know, and just everything orderly, orderly shuts down. Like the cars just come to a, stall, a stop, like very gently and, and all of those things. But it doesn't seem like 
That's what would really happen if everyone just instantaneously passed out. But if they have the mental telekinetic powers to slow everything down, then come to a gentle stop. I mean, I guess it was okay for me. I don't know. They're slowing them down with their telepathy. Well, it's not necessarily telepathy even. I mean, at the end of the day, they do have the ability to control all of reality. And so maybe that's just a twofold thing. Yes, they're making everybody fall asleep but they're also bringing reality itself to a standstill. It, it, the, the fact that they kind of, like, the, it all comes back to it. The whole thing is a giant machine. I don't know how the machine itself functions. You know, maybe they just push power and everything. For all we know, maybe some of the people are real people. Who knows? All right, riddle me this. Why does the Jennifer Connelly character, A Beautiful Mind, why does she, after arriving at the Automat, just walk into the prostitute's apartment across the street? How does she know to go there? That's a valid question. No clue. I was looking at her ass, man. I'm sorry. She's horny. <laughs> well, did she wait? Didn't she get an address from, or did she get an address from what's his name or follow the detective? She she saw the automat from being uh, at the 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 bench, and okay. one of the the vampire dudes comes and talks to her and saying some of the same memories that her husband had with her yeah. or the implanted memories. But then she sees the automat in bright lights off in the distance, and she ends up going up there for whatever reason. And then across the street is, of course, the prostitute's apartment, and she's just been slashed and a circle has been carved into her by another one of the vampires. Um, but the woman just walks in. Jennifer Connelly just walks into this apartment. And then the uh, the the inspector is right behind her, shows up. Good question. Never thought about it. Never crossed my mind. I think for me, so much of like what you're getting at, I was overshadowed by how creepy the stranger was with the memories that he was, the other guy was supposed to get. Like with John Murdoch's memories, that dude was creepy as hell. As creepy as the little kid one, though? Um, I think once they gave him Murdoch's memories, like he became very, very malevolent. Like, he, like there's like a weird, like rapist sensibility when he's talking to Jennifer's character out there. Like at no point in their conversation that I feel like he was having an emotional human connection with this memory about his wife. Like it all literally seemed like I am trying to trap this spider or trap this fly in my web and it's going to be a thing. Now, was that meant to be like um, a menacing, uh, threatening situation? And then he f found out that she didn't have the information or whatever. And so he just let her go. I think well, I think he was trying to find the information. Um, I think he let her go in hopes that maybe she would have more information that she wasn't giving to him. Um, but there's a whole, a whole host of I think that they were definitely pointing out the fact that they needed that scene with that what should have been a very human interaction to show how unhuman the strangers are like you can't just give these memories to these things and they're going to get it like clearly he has all the same memories that murdoch had but he's still not capable of even acting human for any level any length of time yeah it reminds like, me of any time there's a movie and there's an android or a robot character like data and star trek or the vision and avengers and they're trying to be human and trying to understand what it's like to be human very much like this movie in that sense mm -hmm. for sure yeah and in a way mr hand as a result of having murdoch's memories implanted into him does make him a bit of an individual. Oh, for sure. As compared to the other vampire Borg combo, <laughs> combo platter, who are like the, the Mormon tabernacle choir when they're doing their, their tuning and, and all that. And flying around, looking good. I think that was probably my, like the thing that I thought was the strangest about the movie is like, cause they like stand up and fly. Like just yeah, straight of, up, stiff as a board. Yeah, that was the thing that literally, that was the, I think the only thing that really made me go, I don't know. Like, I can believe you guys can reshape the planet, but like, all this standing straight up in midair, that don't make no, nothing to me. Well, yeah, it's like a, just a weird levitation. Yeah. I mean, didn't uh, didn't Neo in the Matrix, didn't he sort of do that initially? Or in, in part of it? 
the, when the he's flying Matrix. no when he's flying he's going full-on superman style doing the superman like not not the chris reeve style but more of the cavill style i don't know what the cavill style is uh with a pained look on his face and bad acting <laughs> yeah, flying more like that to, uh, not no, yeah with le- not so much charm yeah the terraformer at the <laughs> At the, the Man of Steel one. Look, who who cares about Man of Steel? All that matters is that opening scene with the him saving the oil drillers. Can I tell you that the Man of Steel episode is one of our most popular episodes for whatever reason? Really? Yeah. Most downloads. What, what, what did you guys talk about aside from Man of Steel on there? I think it was pretty strictly the Man of Steel. <laughs> was it good timing, maybe? Mm, I don't remember. I mean, maybe it's just that, like, it, it, with it being a comic book movie, you do have uh, comic book fans tend to be a larger percentage of the people that listen to podcasts. You mean the nerds? Just, just yeah. yeah. No, just let's say it. it. The nerds. Call it what it is. It's true. No, we've we've talked about Marvel movies, but we don't necessarily we haven't done a lot of them. Yeah, but at Marvel Marvel movies don't generally draw the comic book people like DC movies do. Yeah, like, Marvel movies draw a more Marvel general audience. Be, they're more they're made for normies, which is why the whole um, Captain Marvel thing ended up the way it did. Because ultimately, the movies have always been directed towards not comic book fans. They, years ago, they turned their backs on comic book fans. Clearly, <laughs> they'll still leave some little nods in there, though. And from what I understand, Winter Soldier and uh, Civil War are decent film. They're good. I, I, those are the few that always get talked about amongst like the comic book nerds. Like those are the two that like I think they still stand up as being the good movies out of all the stuff that they've done in the MCU. But I, I generally only like uh, I think the only ones I ever really liked were John Favreau's with the Iron Man's, and then uh, I liked oh, uh, what's his name? The one that they they got rid of, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy. The first one was good. The second one was garbage. I, I like them both for different reasons, but I, I love the director more than anything. He he's directed some of my favorite movies. So, Gun James Gunn. All right. Yeah. Now, didn't they they got rid of him for something, and then uh, there was some petition to bring him back. Was that to do a Guardians three, or was it for oh, something else? They didn't want to get rid of him. The Guardians were some of the most successful movies they've ever made. Like there, there was no getting rid of him if they didn't have to. Um, ultimately, I think it was it worked out to be that Disney just kind of wanted him gone once they had the opportunity because he was so popular and perhaps. As an independent filmmaker prior to making those movies, maybe a little harder to control, <laughs> less less into working with Hollywood. So he was showing his human form? So yeah, sort of like that. So the vampire should have should have gone after him and put him in the experiment then? Absolutely. If I can bring it back to Dark City for a moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I got, I got some commentary from one of our uh, prior guests, and maybe this will spark a little bit more conversation. Um, Mike C., who is a guest on Collateral and... Starship Troopers says that the central planning relies on artists and that uh, we need a narrative to create the new Soviet man. Oh, no, without question. I mean, and there, I think it was actually beautiful in how ridiculous everything looked, having the uh, strangers make everything. Because when you, as you watch the city kind of spring up and do things, um, there was definitely not a sense of this was made by someone who knows how things should be. This is made by someone who has an idea of how things should be, not who has any information to make that make sense. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, there was also, I, I also am curious in that way like, that when you were talking about the maze earlier, um, how much of that city, if we could actually see it from the top, might resemble that maze? Because it was a very specific shape of that maze. So I'm wondering if the city itself um, represented that in the way that you couldn't get out of the maze. You could just kind of move around within it. And no matter how much you move around with it, you're still kind of just in it. Well, yeah, I'm surprised that movie at the end didn't, when it was flipping over the whole thing, why they didn't show an I overhead shot for it I, I yeah why not 
with that. No, for sure. Yeah, they, they do kind of mention that in, in several instances, the character dialogue is, oh, you, you can never get out or you can't get yeah. there. You can't get to Shell Beach. Right. You know, no it's the strangest the thing. Me and the wife went there, but uh, I can't tell if it's this road or if it's that road. And they definitely play on like the, the humanness of memory there. Um, I think you guys were talking about it last episode, like just how fallible human memory is. And that kind of works to their advantage in this that like the the human thing to do is you know it, it must just just memory i don't know doesn't they're not looking for sense in something because you don't really need it to be there yeah you have your memories and you just go by that you know there's another parallel that that i see in this and that is uh that jim carrey movie truman show sure another manufactured reality yeah and everyone in it is kind of i haven't seen it in a long time but they kind of like play along but they're all actors except for truman. It, right yeah, yeah yeah okay so it's similar but different yeah, I never bothered to watch that one. That was like Ron Howard, wasn't it? That might be a fun one to do. That's a bit of an NAP violation, isn't it? He doesn't know it's all made up. It might be fun. That's crazy. And they're all actors tricking him the whole time, committing fraud. Well, I mean, but for that matter, should we like go and sue MTV and the people that started reality television for presenting an inaccurate depiction of the world around us as real? That keeps it real, yo. Like, like, is Jersey Shore a nap violation? Yes. Yeah, actually, yeah, that is. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to argue. Let's get rid of <laughs> an AP violation situation. Let's get a, let's get a helicopter. <laughs> so, yeah, no. no I, I'd have to watch the movie. I, I don't recall. I mean, there's what? Ed Harris is in a sky cam situation recording everything. I mean, was he, was Jim Carrey? I mean, I don't know. We should, probably shouldn't be talking about this movie, but was Jim Carrey, like, <laughs> like adopted as a baby and put in the show. I forget. I think so. Yeah. He's brought in there very young and you know, actually that would make a very interesting discussion because uh, you know how sometimes we talk about uh, the Hopian covenant communities and what would happen with second and third generation because mm -hmm. it's parents who moved to that area and agreed to those covenants and, and moved there because of the, really the community and different uh, you know rules that were in place. Yeah. And then, right. and then the kids grow up there and they're like, what's their role? They didn't agree to this. So in a way, there's a parallel with, well, if you don't like it, leave. Well, you were born here, so you must abide by the rules here or whatever. Now, there's mm -hmm. a million other arguments against that uh, in a state sense, but in this other sort of microcosm sense, which um, I think it'd be interesting to explore further. Yeah, maybe we should do that. It sounds like a good one. All of a sudden. You should just watch The Majestic instead. It's way better. <laughs> I think I've seen that one. Is that, is that another Jim Carrey movie where he like has a theater? Yeah, it was, it was silly. <laughs> I enjoy it. It's one of the few Jim Carrey movies I like. You don't like Eternal Sunshine? It's a, it's, it's a good movie, um, but it's kind of kind of boring. Ace Ventura? Come on. Oh, no. I mean, I have to like those. I'm of the age to like them. And you like silly, weird stuff. Uh, the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus would be a good one for me. <laughs> Plus Tom Waits. No argument with Tom Waits. Yeah, you know, Tom Waits was the, uh, he was the gold miner, the panner for gold in uh, Buster Scruggs. Oh, really? He has a fantastic, like, acting career for a guy who's primarily a musician. Him and Seven Psychopaths is probably one of the funniest bit parts I've ever seen in my life. I remember but, seeing that in the theater, but I don't remember any funny parts. He's the guy with the bunny. Not ringing a bell. I remember Christopher Walken's in that movie, didn't he? Oh, it's a genius movie. <laughs> You remember there was the, the two people, like the husband and wife that went killing people together, the black white guy, the black wife and the white guy. Nope. Ah, you missed out. It's a good movie. I watch a lot of movies, man. I don't know. It's no, hard to I keep them it. all straight. I don't. I generally only try and watch the weird stuff or anime. Well, there's plenty of weird anime. That's why I like anime. So let's rein us in, Dan. I get sidetracked too easy. Yeah, yeah. I think the last five minutes we went off the rails for a little bit. Let's get back on track. Uh, so we'll go from the blue line to the green line and try to get to Shell Beach here for the final stretch home. And then we'll get in some uh, final summary and review. Rating I, one out of 10. 
or one through 10, one decimal point deep. Uh, so Robert, any final comments before you do your final summary interview? No, I mean, I'm looking over my notes and I don't really have anything. I think we've talked about everything I found interesting in this film. Um, I think it's fairly well done. It definitely doesn't hold up, you know, visually. It's clearly a lower budget film than something of its contemporaries like The Matrix or Titanic, of course. Those are huge money-making and blockbustery type movies. But this is like a little movie that could, that was forgotten at the time. At least it seems forgotten. But yeah, it asks a lot of interesting questions. It poses a lot of interesting ideas. And it's all done in this unique kind of style that I don't know how well it ages not so much. It's it's okay, I guess. But um, anybody know about that main actor guy? Does he do anything else? Because you see, I've never seen this guy in my life. The Illusionist. The Illusionist. What's that? It's a movie that Rufus Sewell was in. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, so it's a circular uh, response to your question here. Thank you. Another movie was, that I, 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 I don't know. What was the know. question he asked? The main character, Rufus Sewell. What else has he done? Is it, this seems like the only movie I've ever seen him in. Um, well, he was in A Knight's Tale. He played the, the pricked other guy. Um, he he did, had a TV show that was pretty popular for a while. I can't, it was, I think, sci-fi related too. Okay. Um, he, he actually does a lot of work, but he's never, he's not generally leading man kind of guy. He's character actor. Yeah, I can see that. He, I mean, he's boss-eyed, which makes him kind of difficult to do leading man with. Right. Yeah, so right. anyway... What's that rating there, Robert? What's my rating? My rating on this? Okay, so I, I had a little bit of a problem with some of the acting in this film. There's a there's a scene where the main character and the cop are talking about, you know, what's reality and why can I, and he levitates a book. And there's just some pretty stiff, weird delivery on some lines. And it just stood out. Like, do these guys, what's going on here? Anyway, um... So for all the things I've said in the past, this is a six for me. It's it's good, it's positive, but it's not necessarily a great movie. Yeah, I think it asks and says more interesting things than it does like thoroughly entertain me. It's a little bit boring, a little bit dark and drab, but I like I like what they were trying to do. All right, Nikki P, you're up. I mean, I'm gonna go with an eight because which we probably guessed coming into it's one of my favorite movies. Um, I don't, I actually don't disagree with anything that uh, Robert said. Um, I think personality-wise, I tend to like very, very dark movies. Um, The Crow is another one of my favorite movies, so it was gonna fit in obviously with that. I think that there's uh, an endearing quality to the crappy acting at times that I do like, and I, I, I think it almost plays better kind of the crappy acting because I think there it pushes the fact that none of these people are real people they're just kind of these amalgams of real people being kind of put together and so I think that even maybe I'm just overly justifying it as to why I like it but, but yeah ultimately I, I personally like the movie I can see why a lot of people wouldn't like it though also well said Daniel well you know um when Nick suggested this I was like well let's try to space this out from Brazil just just from the look of the trailer that I saw and I was like oh it's it's too similar but now actually actually after having seen it I think it's it's significantly different um I actually enjoyed this one a bit more I mean I was still confused about what was going on uh but it kept me intrigued and I I liked the the noir to it and the bit of a mystery like you're discovering as you go along the um the Borg like vampires from the Tabernacle Choir they were a little bit cheesy for me uh but Overall, I think it's a very interesting idea that you've got basically this prison in space, this maze in space with this experimentation going on to try to preserve their species into into the future because they know that they're dying. And so the premise is interesting. I just don't know if the execution was that great. Uh, I did 
feel like there was a lot of uh, model work and practical effects that were used, and and those feel dated. They they actually did remind me of of Gilliam style work in just the presentation, and and yeah. those also feel old now. Just that right. style, yeah, very much so. But uh, I did enjoy it, so I'm going to go with a seven point five on this. So I'm closer to Nick on this and liking this one. And as it pans out or or comes out and shows the disc turning towards the sun, is this where the flat earthers got their ideas i mean is this was this one of the confirmations like where is the curvature gravity's not real so that leads me into what i want to do next week there's a documentary on netflix called behind the curve and so robert if you are for it i think it'd be a nice segue from this one into that one i'm down for whatever just tell me a little bit what it's like what is this behind the curve is it a debunking or is it an explanation of or what uh well i haven't actually watched it yet but from what i understand the flat earther types present their evidence more rigorously than the the earth is round types in the documentary and so it makes for some pretty interesting discussion okay so this documentary person basically tried to present both sides that i believe is the case yes okay uh, and it's on the netflix it's been on out for a few weeks and i know a bunch of people in our circles have, have watched it and said it's quite good okay i can't wait to see i can't wait to see what my opinion of the uh formation of the earth is going to be after I'm done watching this film. I might, I might be presented with some really good arguments and I might change my mind and I might uh, think the world is like on a big giant plate. Well, for whatever reason, apparently in libertarian circles, there's a contingent of people who push the flat earth uh, narrative out there in comments. Um, and it, it causes some, uh, some divisiveness in, in this world. Well, that's what I love about the libertarian world is we got room for everybody as long as you're not aggressing against anybody else. So we got all, all, all types, all kinds. I, I like the spirit of the question that they ask. Yeah, question everything, man. Why not? Well, I, I, I think that there, there's fundamentally some value in just asking the question, why do we believe this and should we? I don't know that if I'm going to go so far as to say I don't believe the Earth is, is round anymore. But, I mean, there is, why do we buy into the things that we buy into and should we? If the government's lies to us about a bunch of other stuff, why wouldn't they lie about this? Yeah, I like the the fact that the the flat earthers basically think NASA is founded, you know, full of like a bunch of conspiracy guys that are all creating CGI versions of the earth all the time. And it's all a bunch of actors on the pretending to be floating in space when they're doing the space station stuff. I, I just I love the whole conspiracy angle that, that you have to buy into in order to form this worldview of the flat earth. I love it. All right. Well, that that'll be the next item up for bid next week behind the curve. So uh, let's wind this down. This has been the last nighters and we are also found on the launchpad media, much like Nikki P from sounds like Liberty. This is episode 64. So the show notes and more are at lastnighterscom slash 64. And there was one comment I wanted to make, uh, put your cash on the barrel head and support us over at Patreon lastnighterscom slash Patreon. <laughs> Had to throw that, that out of place, little colloquialism. I'd never heard that before. I liked it though. Yeah. <laughs> It's so it's so weird. It's so anachronistic in the movie. Yeah, they said that at least twice, maybe three times. But uh, yeah, so cash on the barrelhead. The only thing that makes you guess in this place is cash on the barrelhead. All right. So Nick, where can people find your work? And uh, then we'll say goodnight. Uh, AncapMusic.com or SoundsLikeLiberty.com. All right. Sounds great. Well, thank you guys for uh, listening to this episode of the Last Nighters, and we'll catch you next week with Behind the Curve. Good night from last night.
All right, we can continue for a few more minutes on actual anarchy before we get into that Captain Turner Overdrive. Uh, so it looks like we've got a guest appearance by Nick's daughter. How you doing? And uh, <laughs> you must be up pretty late. I, I, I know that giggle. It means you're getting away with something. All right. So, Robert. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, any, any last thoughts on this movie that we didn't get to in the last night's portion? No, it seems like a movie that you could really deep dive into in terms of what it is to be human and are we just programmable machines and get into the nature of the soul and spirit and religion or determinism, indeterminism. And you can do all kinds of angles and it's a fun, fun way to fun jumping off point for a lot of interesting discussions. So I appreciate that about the film for sure. Yeah. I also think it would be ripe for a prequel and sequel because, you know, see how this came to be, what, what situation brought this about. I mean, we sort of get, some voiceover of of what the situation is but we don't get like okay were these people abducted from earth and then brought out to this floating maze prison right. for the experiments and then what happens after you know what happens after you have this godlike rufus um conjuring whatever he wishes with his mental telepathy and what happens to the inhabitants when they're no longer swapping memories around any longer and they they get to naturally uh, evolutionarily you know progress and and build upon prior situations you know they can and then learn. they start worshiping rufus as a god and then he he becomes this tyrant overlord guy well, oh man that's something like a great movie i i imagine it would probably do much the same thing the matrix did after the first movie which is suck horribly yeah yeah probably like literally i i, I wish they would have like they ruined the first matrix movie for me by making two more well, and now yeah, they're doing just, remakes, right? Are they? Oh, my God. They're rebooting it. Yeah, redoing the whole thing. I hope they don't try and redo the first one. Just try and redo the second and the third one, maybe. I don't know. I well, don't that's know what they're going to do. That's always been my thing. Like, with the, they always talk about restarting the Hellraiser franchise. And I, I'm like, please don't touch the original. It's perfect. Remake the second one. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love the Hellraiser movies, but... They tried to do too much for the technology of the time, and it sucked. Mm. Yeah, so, Robert, you had earlier asked what was the um, box office versus budget on this thing, and it yeah. actually broke even. It's about $27 million for each. Okay, so there will never be a sequel or a prequel. No, I mean, maybe, but this movie is nowhere near like the likes of, you know, with a cult classic status of, like, Blade Runner, where they came out and made a reboot. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, and I think that honestly, Blade Runner, I think, has just as much to do with the cast that it had. Like, I mean, well, some of these people are well-known actors. None of them are star stars. They're just, you know, actors. Right. In this movie, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think no anybody's. Harrison Ford. <laughs> right. There's no Harrison Ford looking back and Kubrick. Or, yeah, isn't it, isn't it Kubrick did uh, Blade Runner? No, no. It was, um, man, I just had it, too. Yeah, I can't think of the name off him, but I know it? who it is. It's, a, it's a famous guy, though, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Ridley Scott. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, and I didn't even need help from the peanut gallery. So <laughs> Nice work, Daniel. See, there's stuff in that head. I didn't have to inject it either. All right. <laughs> well, why, do you, why don't we get into some uh, Kathleen Turner Override where we just let our hair down and kick back for a little bit longer that's available for our Patreon supporters. Uh, so, Nikki, thank you so much for being our guest on uh, this episode 121 of the Actual Anarchy Podcast. Um, you're also... Uh, um, a bit of a, a member of the Libertarian Union, which is possibly nearly defunct. I'm not really sure, but it's still kind of a thing. I want it to be a thing. I think it should be a thing. Uh, so well, what maybe, that thing is, we don't know yet. We don't know yet, but perhaps we can resuscitate it. But uh, we're both associated with it, so people can check it out, libertarianunion.com. Uh, your episode or your show is on uh, the Launchpad Media and also at soundslikeliberty.com. 
So thank you guys very much and have a good night, everyone. Maximum freedom. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 In 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com.